It's been a case at the shop the last three weeks. I'm noticing in the heat as summer is here that we're seeing much higher battery failures. Just fill your basket full of sandwiches and the car doctor. Then lock the house up. Now you're set. If you're riding around on a battery that's three, four years old and it looks like you're growing cauliflower on the battery terminals, you probably need to have the terminals cleaned, battery tested, and maybe replaced. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. You wish that summer could always be here. And now, here's Ronnie. I think Forrest Gump was wrong. I don't think life is like a box of chocolates. I think drivability cars are because you're never quite sure what you're really going to get. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here to carry on for the next two hours talking about you and your automobile at 855-560-9900. All things automotive or otherwise, if you've got a question or comment or a concern, give us a call, 855-560-9900. The website for this radio show is always cardoctorshow.com. You can find more information there, tunein.com, iheart.com, itunes.com for podcasting and other show information as well. If you need me during the week, you got a car problem, we can't get up here on air and talk about it. Send it to me at email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I think drivability cars are getting tougher, and I almost don't know if it's the car or the person that owns them. Two situations this week at the shop, 2004 Volkswagen Touareg. Turg, Tureg, well, VW, virtually worthless, six of one, half a dozen of the other. And the check engine light had been on for, admittedly of the owner, seven months. And the reason we knew that was because this is July, the inspection was December, the check engine light's been on since then, and he's uh, about a month, maybe a little longer. So I'm guessing the check engine light's been on seven to nine months, and he's been driving it around. It has a lean fuel system code. The reason I know it has a lean fuel system code is because he walked into the shop with his scan tool telling me, here's the code. I think it's intake gaskets. What can you do to fix it? Let me tell you about the right and the wrong way to walk into somebody's house. And I kind of take it personal. And, yeah, you know, I was asking, I was talking to uh, Sue last night. We were having dinner at this little Italian restaurant again, and, I said, you know, maybe my ego's a little too fragile. I don't know. But when somebody walks in and says to me, here's what's wrong with the car. How are you going to fix it? And I haven't even walked outside, gotten a signed repair. Haven't even gotten to the point where I've lifted the hood and I'm being put on the spot. I, you know, give me a break. Walked outside, looked at the car. It's this used up, worn out, 80,000 mile 04 Volkswagen that's been road hard, put away wet. And it, it really... I won't say should have been shot, but it's getting close. The driver's door doesn't open from the inside anymore. The owner admitted that it needed brakes. It's had this check engine light issue ongoing for quite some time now. And I explained to him that that check engine light is the mystery because once you solve that 2189 lean fuel condition bank one fault, 
that his his scan tool said was the issue, that you've then got the problem of, is there anything else there? It's layered. You don't know. We ended up sending that car to the dealer because he wanted to know me or the dealer, and I said the dealer because walk into the dealer and show them the scan tool and see what they do to you. Second drivability car this week was an 08 Ford Fusion. 08 Ford Fusion that had a rolling idle between six and 800 RPM and went through every test and diagnosed it the way it should have been after Ford diagnosed it and two other shops diagnosed it and came to the conclusion that it's a bad throttle body, a $500 part. Is that the only thing wrong with it? Gee, I don't know. I've got to get through this. I've got to go one step at a time. I can prove the throttle body bad. I don't know how the rest of the car is because I can't test beyond that point. Like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. The owner intends to take it to a fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh shop. I'm not sure what answer he's looking for, but obviously here's what's wrong with the car. I can prove it isn't something to satisfy him. The bottom line becomes that you as the owner, you as the vehicle decision maker, it's a lot like caretaking for somebody older or for yourself. You've got to have a clear mind what it is you're looking for before you go out looking. And you've got to understand that when you're talking to a mechanic, sometimes the worst thing in the world to say is, Here's what's wrong with it. How are you going to fix it? Or, gee, what if that doesn't fix it and instill some doubt into the conversation? You've got to get used to the idea that auto repair going forward, there is going to be that 80 percentile guess that hopefully he's a good guesser and a good diagnostician that's going to get you down to that point of here's what's wrong with the car. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here. We're going to roll along this hour. Coming up next hour, we're going to be talking to Mark Eaton. Mark is from Denso. We're going to be talking to him about Iridium and their Iridium TT spark plugs. But right now, we have a very full phone bank. And Fast Harry's looking at me through the glass with a pained expression on his face saying, open the doors. So let's fire him up and let's go over to Rick in New Haven, Connecticut, 2001 Buick Century. And some brake caliper questions. Rick, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. Hey, how you doing, Ron? All right, what's going on? Good. I got a. Uh, well, I'm told I have a sticking brake caliper, and uh, I was wondering if there's anything I could do about that until I replace it. Um, not really. Uh, you know, when you say you've got a sticking caliper, what are the brakes pull left or right, Rick? Uh, no, they're squealing. Okay. Well, generally, a squeal is yep. a is a compound issue. And not necessarily a stuck caliper issue. If a brake caliper is sticking, the vehicle, by all rights, should pull. Even the slightest little bit of a brake caliper that's hanging is going to cause unequal pressure in the system, and the vehicle will have a bit of a drift to the left or the right. Now, you know, we should also see brakes wearing more to one side than the other. Who Who's saying that the caliper's sticking? Um, a friend with more experience than me. Okay. Um, any reason why you're waiting to repair it? Um, yeah, finances. Okay. Well, and that's a fair statement. Just keep in mind, um, if the brakes do become a problem and there is an issue and they don't work, the repair bills are only going to go up from here. Yeah. So, um, you know, keep in mind, too, that brakes stick or brake caliper issues aren't necessarily going to be a squeal all by themselves. Generally, it's it's compound. It could also be that the brake pads, you know, whatever lubricant was supposed to be there. Now, the brake pad could be stuck on the caliper, not allowing it to float, all right, because the caliper, the pad has to float against the rotor to a degree. Uh, a little bit of silicon grease in the right spots goes a long way to preventing squeal. But okay. if, if the way the pad is mounted is correct, if that brake caliper itself is mechanically stuck, then 
you should have other issues going on here. Uh, my suggestion is before you wait too much longer, take it apart, see what kind of shape the brakes are really in, and if it's something you can't do, have a professional do it because bad brakes is nothing to fool around with, and it keeps you safe and it keeps me safe as I'm driving along in the car next to you. Let's go over to Paul in Norway, Maine. I guess that couldn't be Norway, Norway. No, we don't have that kind of reach. See what's going on here with this 2001 Camry. Paul, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? Good. What's going on? Well, I got a 2001 Camry, and it's a 5-speed with a 2.2, and it. I bought it for fun, and it's like a second or third vehicle. That's, Actually, that, that's kind of neat, a 5-speed <laughs> Camry. You don't see many of those. Yeah, that's why I bought it, because yeah. it had the 5-speed. Yeah, yep. So what's going and, on with uh, it? Well, uh, I had it out of service for a while, and uh, when I went to put it back into service, it would start up, and it'll run for a few seconds, and then it will quit. Okay. And and uh, it got worse and worse, and now it just starts. It fires. You see the tachometer needle go up, and then it quits. And then you can hear the fuel pump um, working to repressurize, I guess, or something. And then I try it again, it does the same exact thing. All right, let me let me ask you this. Once it goes into this dead, it won't start mode? Have you checked to see, do you have spark? Um, I'm imagining that I do because it seems to fire. It fires. Right, but, but, but I'm imagining that maybe you don't simply because it fires and dies. So it has spark when you go to start it. It doesn't have spark, otherwise it would keep running. We wouldn't be having this phone call, right? Right. So, so I did change the wires and the plugs. Well, no. How about we take how about we take a coil wire out of off a spark plug? Do you have yeah. a do you have a spark plug tester, Paul? A, uh, I do. A, a larger gap plug. Yeah. Well, let's hook it up. Let's see if we've got spark, and we should have. Right. We, we should have an angry orangish, hot blue white spark color kind of thing going on there and it should be an extended gap plug and if you can fire the coil then we know it's not spark and that eliminates about half the possible problems this could be if it, if, right. it if it has spark then my next question is going to be does it have injector pulse and probably the easiest way for you to tell me that is if you don't have one go buy a mechanic stethoscope listen, okay listen to the injectors do they click They'll click when it runs. Do they continue to click when it goes into that crank no start condition? Do those two tests. Call me back next week. All right, I'll do that. All right, kiddo. Thank you, and uh, you keep us posted. 855-560-9900, the Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Give us a call any time, day or night, and leave a message. Fast Harry will call you back. I'm Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here. If you're new to us, we want to thank you for stopping by. If you've been here a while, we want to thank you for sticking around. This radio show for you newbies is all about your car and its problems. So if you've got a question, if your mechanic's beating you up, if the car doesn't seem to make sense, if, gee, the last bill seemed too expensive to me, then give us a call, 855-560-9900. We'll help break it down 
and I'll put it into a language in a way that you can understand it. And listen, maybe your mechanic's wrong, and uh, we can kind of talk about that too. But this radio show is here for you, and it's dictated by the calls and the questions that you ask, and that's how we run this show and have for the past 24-plus years. Let's get over and talk to John, Shadyside, Ohio, 1983 Honda Civic, and some problems with a fuel level sender. John, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Uh, hey, Ron. I, I, I uh, ran out of options because nobody can get the part, uh, and uh, I was wondering if there's any way that uh, I can get the a fuel sensor, any fuel sensor would work in that car or... Is yeah, well, let's possible? let's see. Uh, two th- uh, 83. What am I saying? So 83. Yeah. yeah, it's my dad's car. He passed away, and uh, I'm trying to restore it a little bit. You know, running. I mean, the car is only 32 years old. It's still got some life <laughs> left in it, I think. Um, you know, my one question would be before I talk about getting a replacement part, John, is is it that the gas gauge doesn't work? Have you pulled the fuel level sender out? Do you know that it's yeah, bad? Yeah, yeah, because the gas sat in the tank, okay. you know, for 20 years. Okay. And, so and that, I, I just decided, you know, to give it a shot. Well, then the next question I've got is that the fuel level sender went bad, and it, it you know, because the gas turned to gelatin and whatever else it varnished yeah. down into. What's the inside of the tank look like? No, no, they're uh, I, they, the dealers. They're, they uh, they they uh, can can get a new tank. Okay. But they can't get a sensor. Okay. So you know, all that sensor is, all that sending unit is, is a potentiometer. It's a variable resistor. So I've got to think with a little bit of creativity and ingenuity that it it can't be the most impossible thing to transfer another sending unit that has the same range value and resistance value to make that gauge work. What I would tell you to do is, if, if we were at the shop, I have this device, it's called a variable potentiometer, and all it is is just a big rheostat. It lets me vary resistance in a circuit so I can get things to do what I want them to do. Um, it, it's yeah. basically a fuel level sender. Now, yeah. most fuel level senders are 0 to 90 ohms. Sometimes they're 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 ten to one hundred and twenty ohms. They vary by car manufacturer. If you put a if you put a a, a a potentiometer, a variable potentiometer, to that signal line back to the gauge, and measure where's E, where's full, then you just got to find a potentiometer that matches that range, and then attach it to the sender. Yeah, but where do you get this potentiometer? Well, what the actual part, the replacement part? No, any of them that would work. I, I'm not. Pick a car. Once you, once you, the most important thing, and my point is, the most important thing is to know what range sender you're looking for. Okay, well, I don't know that. I'm not a mechanic. Right. Well, the mechanic would have to know that, John. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay, Ron. All right. So, in other words, the mechanic would have to have the smarts to understand that a, a gas gauge is a variable resistor circuit. All right. Let me let me explain it like this: if the if the gas gauge didn't work. In the days of 1983, 85, 90, 95, and so on, we would get out a variable potentiometer, and we would do a sweep test of the gauge. We'd put it at zero, bring it up towards the top end, and we watch the gauge go from E to F. All right? All right? So he's got to do the same thing to that car. In doing that, he's going to determine what the range of that sender is. Once he knows that, then it's a simple matter of referencing a later model vehicle and saying, and I would probably start to look somewhere in the mid-90s, 
because I'm sure sending units are available for those, and say, okay, a sending unit, for example, for a 95 Civic's available. I'd find one and transfer over that sending unit to the existing one that's in the car, and it can't be that hard to do. Fabrication well, of parts isn't the most impossible thing in the world. Where there's a will, there's a way. So there, there's a way to do it if you find somebody that... Right. If, if you can find somebody that understands variable resistance and how, to, and, and how to really understand how a fuel gauge circuit works, then you can yeah. find somebody to repair this. If all your mechanic can do right now is swap parts, yeah, then all, you, do it. all you've got is a part swapper, and that's why you're confused about it. All right. Okay. This is well, this is a fairly simple circuit and a fairly simple problem. I wouldn't let something like this stand in your way and uh, keep you from getting this car repaired. So good luck to you, John. If you need more information, send me an email, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com, uh, and we can kind of pick it up and go from there. Hey, listeners, uh, just real quick before we pull over and take the pause, my spies tell me, and I've got some updated info, Buick is just has just unveiled with uh, the 2016 Cascadia. Wow, you've got to Google this, Cascadia, C-A-S-C-A-D-A. Um, what a good-looking convertible this is, and you can see where General Motors is going with this car. If the mechanicals are correct and the mechanicals work, they're taking square aim at BMW and Audi for this, and everything's going to that European look. But the Cascadia, I saw pictures of it, and uh, I was quite impressed and pleased to see how they're... Um, how they're changing their design. It comes out as a convertible. Um, it's got a very sleek windshield. Um, the top goes up and down in, in, in only 17 seconds. They can lower the top up speeds up to 31 miles an hour, the specs say. And it's got a very windswept exterior design. So, um, you know, you can see. Tone, what do you think? Let me turn this around. Tone, look at that. Is that a sharp-looking car? Yeah, I got thumbs up from Tony. Tony knows. So the uh, um, Tony and all his boys are going to like that and uh, take that out for a ride. Um, so a lot of technology out there and um, a lot of good-looking car that uh, General Motors is coming up with and uh, uh, part and parcel. Real quick, one last thought on uh, John's problem. One of the things I see people make mistakes with is the part's not available. That means I can't fix the car. That's not the case. What you've always got to do when you're faced with a no-part-available scenario is how does the circuit work? and then make a part from there. It's not that car companies make parts anymore. They subcontract them out. A lot of things are very, very similar. So always understand what you're working on before you try going to solve the impossible. I'm Ron Anany and The Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 number. That's 855-560-9900. Give us a call anytime, day or night. This radio show is live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. But 855-560-9900 has a messaging service on it. And you can call, leave a message when we're not on the air. And Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and hook you up and put you in queue for the next live show. And we can talk about your problem right up here in, on the national stage and let um, everybody benefit from the problem and the uh, answer and uh, keep on solving and repairing all of America's broken cars because that's the goal of this radio show. I've decided once I fix all the cars, I'm going to Hawaii and uh, we're going to retire. So um, that's the deal. 
I got a little bit of ways to go yet. Let's get over to the phones. Let's go over and talk to Scott, Omaha, Nebraska. Some questions about a head gasket problem on a 2002 Ford Taurus. Scott, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron, thanks for taking the call. You're welcome. Initially, I thought my my issue was a head gasket failure, and it still may be, but I'm also leaning towards a potential of an issue with it being an aftermarket antifreeze reservoir installed last year. Okay. I was on the road for about four hours. I braked for gas. Uh, when I came out of the station, I noticed that fluid was dripping from the front of the car on the passenger side. When I popped the hood, I couldn't see where it was leaking, but the reservoir was full and the coolant was churning. And it looked brown. So I was initially thinking back pressure, brown coolant, maybe a head gasket issue. But I don't think so anymore because I don't have any white smoke. It's not overheating. I pulled the spark plugs last night. They're dry. And the oil is clean. All right. How about this? Uh, With the plugs out, as long as the plugs are out, Scott, uh, do you have a cooling system pressure tester? No, I don't. Um, If you did, if you pressurized the cooling system and walked away for a couple of hours, and then came back and then had the ability to look in each spark plug hole for any signs of coolant. That's another way to do it. I, you know, white smoke out of the tailpipe will work if it's a cataclysmic failure. If if it's a seeper, if it's something that's, you know, not really a huge leak, but it's in the early stages, then you may never see any smoke because the catalytic converter is going to change it and do its job and, and clean everything up until it gets to be a real problem. So don't judge it by white smoke. Now, you know, let's go back a minute. It was overheating. It was boiling it over. Was not. Okay, it wasn't overheating. It was just boiling over out of the radiator into the bottle. Uh, yeah, when I, and I don't know if when you say boil, I don't know if it's pressure or whatever, but um, when I stopped for gas, not when I was on the road. Right. When I, when I was on the road, it was beautiful. It was when I stopped for gas, about a pint came out. Okay, and that was you had shut the car off putting gas in the car, and you, you heard this sound and went to the front of the car and lifted the hood, and it was happening? Well, I, basically, I was walking out from the station. I, I hit, hit the restroom, came back out, and then I saw the, the dripping out of the front of the car when gotcha. I was walking back to it. Gotcha. Did you give any thought to the possibility that it could be a radiator cap? Uh, well, that's what I was talking about, uh, the aftermarket antifreeze reservoir. Right. I installed it last year, and I have to admit it didn't go very high-end. High uh, well, cap, but, but the res- I have issues with that. Yeah, I was going to say, the reservoir is just a plastic container. The reservoir has no bearing on what pressure the system has or holds. or uh, you know, it's, it's just a place to put coolant should the cap release it or should it boil over out of the cooling system. If the, if the pressure cap isn't working properly, then there's a good chance that it will cause boil over. Remember, all right, and it, may be, it might be a review for you, Scott, but just for everyone else, you know, a pressure cap maintains the and pushes the boiling point of the coolant. Uh, actually, it raises the boiling point up. It keeps the system down. So for every three pounds, I'm sorry, for every one pound of pressure, you raise the boiling point three degrees. So instead of water boiling at sea level at 210 degrees, if you put a 15-pound cap on, you can do the math and raise it up, and it's going to boil somewhere in that 230 range. So it, it raises the boiling point and keeps the system from doing just what you're experiencing. If it's a 15-pound cap, if the system calls for a 15-pound cap, but the spring itself is weakened and it now only has the rating of an 8- or a 10-pound cap, the boiling point is compromised and the system will boil over. Yeah, because I was wondering if I cross-threaded it because I, I, I topped off the fluids before I left for my trip, and I was wondering if I cross-threaded that, that cap 
is that if I stopped, would 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 that have allowed the, the liquids to, to 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 get out? Well, if if the cap wasn't sealing the system, yes, because now the boiling point is effectively whatever you were, wherever you were, whether you were at sea level above or below. But the pressure cap can't do its job anymore. Yeah, because what I was wondering, because when, when I finally got a chance to open it up and look inside, though the, the liquid looked brown from the outside, when I flashed a light in there, it was just a darker green. I wonder if that got churned up from inside the... Yeah, um, and, and it very inside. well could be. Let me ask you this. How old's the radiator, Scott? Oh, it's original. Okay. An original radiator, 12 years, uh, 13 years old, 100 and how many miles? 144. Okay. It's, it's probably outlived its lifespan. It really has. I'm surprised, but I guess in your part of the country, if it's not getting beat up um, with, well, I guess it would be. Nebraska is no, you know, it's not well, easy weather-wise, right? For okay. ten of those years, unless in California. Okay, well then, so an easy ten years. Um, I would be very mindful to look at where the radiators on the Taurus has typically failed was on the seam of the side tank, particularly on the passenger side, and it's not something you'll see at the top. It'll be down below, and you'll start to see stains of green and little droplets and, and driplets. So, uh, you know, and understand, this is about preventative, okay? And it's hard for me to tell somebody that's gotten a radiator that's gone from a 2002 up to 2015, you're 13, 14 years old, to say, hey, I'd probably change it. But I'd probably change it. I've probably gotten to the point now that with the coolant that's in the system, regardless of how often you flushed it, the capacity for that system to pass coolant properly has to have been compromised. And mm. I've gotten to the point now on newer vehicles, personal family vehicles, maybe not something commercially for a customer unless they request it. Five, six years, I'm putting radiators in cars because I don't want the system to be stressed out. I don't want to get to the point where the engine starts to run marginally hotter because typically what happens is, is the radiator starts to get restricted. Think about it. Does it boil over or is it a gradual increase in temperature? It's usually a gradual increase in temperature, and it's usually something that happens over time. So you may not notice it by the temperature gauge, and by the time you do, usually we all sit there and say, well, I guess the temperature gauge is awful little. The car's not new anymore. Or is it that the radiator is making it run hotter? So 14 years on a 140,000-mile vehicle that maybe you want to keep a little bit longer, it's time to look at the cooling system and possibly replace the radiator. Take a look at the radiator cap. You can find more information about caps and boiling point and what they're supposed to do. Get out to stamp.com, and they make an excellent radiator cap. They're all we use in the shop, and uh, they are OE quality caps, and they'll talk about boiling point and all there on the website at stamp.com. But um, I would start to think that you've got some basic cooling system issues going on here, more so than jumping right into it's a head gasket. Three liters generally don't go through head gaskets. Intake manifold gaskets are not uncommon, but you won't see boil over like that. You will tend to see coolant loss. So you could pressure test the cooling system since you got the plugs out anyway. It can't hurt to look and make the effort that way. But if this is a three-liter U-motor, I'd be looking at radiator. How how effective is it? What's the cooling fan doing? How's the thermostat? And that's something else you can also find at stamp.com. And take a look at that pressure cap as well. And I think somewhere in that mix on this older 140,000-mile vehicle, you're going to find your solution to your problem. 855-560-9900. Scott, by the way, thanks for the call. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. Back right after this. <laughs>
Welcome back. Ron and Nene and the Car Doctor. By the way, a quick reminder, we are giving away an LMC truck prize this hour. It's a $25 gift card coupled with either a hat or a T-shirt. It's a grab bag from the folks over at LMC Truck. You can find more about them at lmctruck.com. And uh, by all means, take a look and drop them a line. They want to hear about your truck. They love talking cars. And uh, they love, or I'm sorry, they love talking trucks, but they want to hear about your vehicle and um, whatever it is that you drive and uh, use to thrive and survive. So anyway, that's the deal. Get out to lmctruck.com. Let's get over and talk to Dennis in Claremont, Florida. Some issues with a 97 Dodge 2500 panel van. Dennis, welcome to the car, doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, thank you, Dr. Ron. You're welcome. For taking my call. You're welcome, sir. What's going on? Yes, sir. I purchased a used vehicle uh, several months ago. And it rode like a top for a couple of months. <clears throat> and on, on my way to work on, on the turnpike, the engine felt like somebody was kicking me in the butt. Okay. And I said, wow, that's, that sounds strange, and it doesn't feel right either. So I got to work and got back home, and the next day it happened again. I said, oh, boy, i got to get me another truck because I can't depend on this vehicle. Right, which I just which I just purchased. Right. So, uh, a few more months went by, no problem. But it acted up again. I said I got to get it checked out. Went to the mechanic. They couldn't figure out what it was. Can they duplicate the and problem? They Dennis? couldn't duplicate the problem exactly. They they could or they couldn't. They could not duplicate the problem. Okay. It's, it's did, intermittent. Did, did they take it out for a ride? They said they took it out for a ride. All right. Next time, uh, ne- next time, check your odometer, see if it really changed. But go ahead. Okay. Yeah. You know. Okay. Take. You know. Okay. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we're at the point now where the car's got an occasional buck, and nobody can replicate it, and you can't find the problem with it. Right. I took it to the mechanic again, and he said uh, he thinks it's the crankcase sensor. Okay. Um. Any theory uh, or any yeah. reason why he thinks that? Did he test anything, or is this the best guess of the week? Or do we? Have a, or, I think it, it might be the best guess yeah. because uh, you know he's overstocked on back, he's overstocked on crank sensors this week and has to sell a few. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, sir. But uh, the um, the engine couldn't start, and you know because I, I just don't know what happened. Okay, has it ever and gone? Into, has it ever gone into a crank no start, Dennis? Not that I know of. I'm not a mechanic. I don't know what this, that type of symptom is, but okay. it doesn't start. It doesn't start right now. Any any fault codes in this vehicle? No. All right. N- not uh, He didn't mention any fault codes. All right. Let me ask you this, and you see no dash warning lights when the problem happens, right? No. All right. There's two ways to approach this. There's a couple different ways. If, if we were standing at the counter at the shop and talking about it, one of the things I would be telling you is, first thing I need to know is, is this enough of a problem that the onboard computer is not happy? That is it is it setting a fault code? Now, because you bought this vehicle used, and I, I see this all the time because people don't, you know, they don't know what a used vehicle is supposed to have because they don't, it's used. It's it's not new to them. It's new to them, but it's not it's not a new vehicle. If you turn the if you turn the ignition on. Does the check engine light light up in bulb check? That's my first question. You know, bulb check. Bulb check. In other words, any car, any car in the last 40 or 50 years, you turn the key on but don't start the engine, momentarily or for long term, all the lights on the dashboard will light up. 
They call that mm-hmm. bulb check. That's the moment when the driver is supposed to identify. So in the old days, when you didn't have an oil pressure gauge or a coolant temperature gauge, you had idiot lights. And that was the moment of bulb check. It was, does the oil pressure light work? Does the coolant light work? And, you know, it, it, because if it doesn't light, then you're you're responsible to tell the mechanic, hey, my, my coolant light's burnt out, put a bulb in it. But the fact that you bought this used, I'm wondering, I just want to cover the base, is the check engine light working? I've seen bulbs I've seen bulbs mysteriously disappear and fall out in somebody's pocket. I've seen bulbs burn out. And the first step would be if the bulb's working or not, and I just wanted to mention that is scan it for codes. If there are no codes, then this becomes a no code running drivability diagnosis. If there are codes, then we've got to attack those codes. So first things first, can I ask you to do that for me this week and call me back next? When I when I got the vehicle, the check engine light was on. Okay, is it on now? Then, but but then I had that replaced. That that problem was gone away. But it did it come back? It came back on again. Right. So so <laughs> then then the question becomes, Dennis, what fault yeah. codes are there? All right. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back because the clock's going to take me. I want you to go back to the mechanic. I want you to get a printout of what fault codes are in this vehicle right here and now. Call me back next week, and we'll talk about it, and I'll solve it for you. But uh, first things first, we've got to go with basic diagnostics. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on Andy and the Car Doctor rolling along this hour. Let's get over. And, oh, by the way, before I do that, I want to just mention, uh, tell Dennis in Claremont, Florida, if he's still listening, and I believe he is. Dennis, we're going to be sending you the LMC truck giveaway. You uh, you were the gift card winner this week, $25 gift card with either a hat or a T-shirt. It's on its way towards you. And make sure you get out to lmctruck.com and check out their website uh, with regard to um, products and catalogs and all sorts of things truck-related. So uh, they're your guys. You're their guy. You're their kind of guy. And um, we're going to be sending that $25 gift card out your way. And call us back next week. Let's talk about the trouble codes you get out of your mechanic this week. Let's get over and talk to Don Shelton, Connecticut, 2002 Concord. Don, I've I got about a minute and a half. What's going on All here? right, right. Yes, yes, sir. I have a, my old two car. The, it'll be a week tomorrow. I've been getting an odor, gas odor coming from my from the back, I believe. Um, it's not... Dripping. It's just just a, a just, just a smell. Okay. Yeah. Have you have you put it up in the air? Has anybody put it on a left I, to look? I I took the left rear wheel off, and I noticed it's like damp under the uh, like in the middle. Okay. Where the tank is, I think. Where, right. Where, you know, almost up. And is that yeah. where the odor's the heaviest, Don? Uh, yeah, right under that wheel wall, basically. Okay, so you know, maybe it's not a drip yet. But no. seeing as how this is an O2 and it's a Concorde and they have a tendency to rot yeah. fuel system components, I would be cautious. Yeah. I would get it up in the air and I would be looking for signs of stains or drips or seeps. If somebody has a five-gas emissions analyzer, they could use that to smell for raw hydrocarbons in and around the area where the possible fuel leaks are. But I would caution you against driving this 
simply because if this is a fuel system leak, if the tank is starting to seep and this does become a firm liquid leak and somebody drops a cigarette outside a window at a traffic light, that's a whole nother conversation. Something dangerous. I'm Ron Anany in the car, Doctor. Till the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya. Let's